This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Take your Bibles tonight and turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. And uh, I'm amazed how quickly we're finding ourselves towards the closing of this particular book, and then we'll get into 2 Peter. But we're going to pick up tonight with verse number 17. This is basically where we left off last week. As we get now to this verse, let us look at it together. Peter is saying, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God, and it first began at us. What shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? I think that when we we look at this particular passage of Scripture, there's, there's no doubt that at this season in Peter's life, the devil was working overtime, and I think he works overtime really in all of our lives. He never takes a break. He never lets up. He's constantly trying to find ways to create disturbances of some sort. Uh, and by the time that Peter had wrote his two letters, where we left off last week was apostasy was really working overtime in the church. As the devil was working overtime, certainly apostasy was as well. And uh, if here's the thing, uh, because the scripture is talking about the judgment of God, and we're we're taught in our communion text and chapter whenever we read the Word of God, when we take communion, how important it is to judge ourselves. And if we don't judge ourselves, we set ourselves wide open for God to bring judgment. And so if people weren't judging themselves, this is the thing that I want to open the Bible study up tonight with, and that is this. If we don't judge ourselves, such as should be judged, as the Word says, and, and the church wasn't doing it, uh, I want you to know that God will waste no time with it because he does put a tremendous amount of responsibility on us uh, conforming to his will. And so in verse number 18, the Bible says, And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? And... Uh, this reminds me of the scripture that says that it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a living God, and that's found in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 31. And so as this particular text is dealing with the judgment of God, and he will bring judgment into our life, uh, because nobody can escape God's judgment. Nobody can. Sometimes the judgment, I don't know, if you've ever thought about this. But sometimes when you see all the commotion and the pandemonium and the chaos and all of the things running rampant in this world, I'm sure I'm not the only one that's ever thought, God, why is all of this happening? Why does it seem that the devil is winning? Why does it seem that he's so far ahead, and you know, the, the early writers in the Psalms asked a question similar to that. In Psalms chapter 2 and verse number 1, the question is asked, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? And that text 
predominantly talks about what we're speaking of right now, and that is wondering why in the world does God put up with it? Why does he tolerate it? Why does he let it go on? Why does it seem that the unrighteous, the ungodly, are so far ahead? Have you ever wondered that? And and you find yourself asking yourself those questions. But from this, these two verses, this is the thing that I want you to understand. God has no intentions of letting it go. God is not winking at it. God is not going to belittle it. The truth of the matter is this, that even though it may appear for this time, such as this that we live in, that the things are turned completely upside down, God can, and he has in certain ways, he can bring judgment on this world right now. And I do think, I honestly think that we're living in a day and a time where we are reaping the godlessness as a nation. God, God is bringing judgment on this land. He's, he's a faithful, righteous, holy God, and he's bringing judgment on this land today. There's no, I don't care how you slice it. I don't care where you line it. You have to look at this thing as a believer from God's holy word, and you know and I know that God's dealing with this world right now. He's not oblivious to what's going on. So he can and he has and he is bringing judgment on, on the world today. He will also bring judgment on the world during the tribulation, predominantly in the second half of the tribulation, the last three and a half years. He will bring judgment on the world at the end or the close of the tribulation when the revelation begins. And he will for sure bring judgment, not only at the judgment seat of Christ, but for the ungodly and the unrighteous at the great white throne. In fact, I want you to see these verses in Revelation 20, verse 11 and 12. And uh, these fellows are doing a good job getting these scriptures on the screen quickly for me tonight. But the word says, and I saw a great white throne. Let me emphasize something to you. And I do this periodically, but I want you to stay on track with it. I don't want you to get it confused. But there is a big difference between the judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne. It being in gospel music all of my life, I've heard many talented songwriters write beautiful songs, but the theology in some of those lyrics are just not true. There's one particular that I'm thinking of right now, and it says something like this, when all of God's children get there and we all march around God's white throne. The, the truth of the matter is the great white throne is not a judgment reserve for believers, strictly for the lost. And so, yes, there will be a there is a judgment going on now, I believe, on the world. There's a judgment that will happen in the tribulation. There's a judgment coming at the end of the tribulation going into the revelation. There's a judgment that's going to be at the judgment seat of Christ when all believers are judged in the air, not in heaven, in the air. And then there's going to be this particular judgment on a saw great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face of the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. That's talking about, it doesn't mean if a person was a pauper or if he was a rich and famous man, if he was a king or president. 
small and great. That's what this means. Stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of these things, or those things which were written in the books according to their works. So there is God's, even though it may seem like that the ungodly, the heathen rage, the ungodly is getting ahead. Even though it seems that maybe we are losing the race, I assure you that that's not the case. God's timing is precise, it's accurate, it's just, and it's fair, it's righteous. And so um, these, these verses talking about the judgment of God, it opens up all of these thoughts to us as we study. Now, in verse number 19, the word says, Wherefore, let him that suffer according to the will of God. Now, you think about that. Commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. And so as Peter is coming to a close of this chapter, perhaps one question that maybe you have asked also in the past, not only why do the unrighteous seem to always be ahead, but maybe you found yourself asking this question, maybe multiple times. Maybe you're asking this question right now because of something going on in your life, and that is this. Why do bad things seem to happen to good people? Have you ever asked that question before? God, why? why I mean, I can understand why, why trouble would come near way, and this would happen here, and this would happen here, but God, why, why do you allow this? Well, what should be a Christian's reaction when there is an overwhelming amount of suffering in your life? Something that I've said, I don't know, hundreds of times from this pulpit. I want you to get it, let it sink in. Don't forget it. Share it with somebody else as often as you can, but remember this. God loves you too much to do you wrong, and he's too wise to make a mistake. So no matter what you're going through in the realm of suffering, because the truth of the matter is this, sometimes suffering makes absolutely no sense to us at all. But let me share with you a great spiritual truth tonight in the realm of suffering. When you're going through an adversity to the, to the place where it brings you to your knees, and you don't understand it, and it makes no sense to you, always remember this, that you only have one side of the story. When you're suffering and you're overwhelmed and you're cast down, you're, you, only, you only have one side of the story, but you have to remember that the other side of the story belongs to God. And you can't see the other side of the story because it's in heaven where God is ruling and reigning. You only can see half of the story, half of the picture. And so that's where some of the confusion comes in. But one day, whether God reveals to you on this side 
or whether he reveals it to you on the other side. There's a passage of scripture that Paul spoke about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, and it says this, for now we see through a glass darkly. You may not understand it. It may not be clear to you, but hold on. You, you only have half of the story. The other half is going on in heaven, which you cannot relate to right now. But then face to face, now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I am known. But this is what I believe about all of the questions that we have uh, right now on this side of heaven, and that's this. Do you know, you, you might have made a list in your head, in your mind, in your heart, and you have said something like this. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God why this and why that and explain this to me and explain that to me. And maybe you've got a list of 10 things written down in your Bible somewhere that you've, you've got to memorize. When you get to the throne, you're going to say, God, I want an answer to this. But the truth of the matter is this. When you cross that great divide and you step into the portals of glory and you stand before his holiness, all of these whys and how comes, they won't even cross your mind. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, I mean, we're going to fall on our knees, and as the song says, will I dance for you, Jesus? I can only imagine, will I be able to speak at all? What will we do when we find ourselves in the presence of his holiness? I can assure you one thing, we're not going to be talking about all of these outcomes and why nots and what ifs. None of that stuff will matter to us. And so that's a great thing. We're looking through life now as a glass uh, that's covered in like a, a smoky haze, a glass darkly, uh, but then face to face. All right, so this closes out chapter 4, and let's, let's look at uh, verse number 1 in chapter 5. This, this is a, like a heavy chapter. This really is. And so um, some of this stuff, maybe we'll be here for a little bit, or maybe we'll speak a little bit uh, longer in some instances but I want you to look now carefully with me uh, because uh, Peter's using a word that we don't use all the time, uh, but it's in the Bible and it's scriptural. And he says this, the elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Now, I want us to look at this. We're studying tonight. This is what the Bible study is all about. Wednesday night, you know, I, this is what I love about Wednesday night Bible study. I, I don't preach in Wednesday night Bible studies. I teach. There's a big difference in teaching and preaching. And you've got to have the balance. I could give you a three-point outline tonight. We could stand, pray, sing, go home. That's not what, that's not what this is about. This is studying the Word. So this is a classic example of what we're talking about when we study the word. Let's look at it homiletically for a moment. The word elders, and it's in the scripture, it comes from the word presbyteros. And th th there could be several meanings to this word elder, and I want to give you a few of them. And so if you're looking at the scripture you're writing in your Bible, maybe you can put some references in there. But in one instance, this word elder, it could mean an older man. Or it could mean older people. 
By the way, the church at Jerusalem had elders. In fact, I want you to see this in Acts chapter 11, verse 29 and 30. They'll do a great job, as you can see, getting these on the screen quickly as we go through them. But I want you to read it with me. It says, Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Okay? So there's a, the word elders is, is mentioned frequently in in the scriptures. Uh, some churches still operate with elders. Uh, our church operates with deacons. Both are scriptural. Um, some do both. Some do one or the other. It's not to say one church is more right than the other. It's to, under the leadership of the, the pastor. So the word elders, it could talk about another man, an older man. It could talk about older people, or it could talk about um, the leadership in the local church. Uh, it, it also was in reference to fathers of the Hebrew people. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 2, we're in chapter 11 now, but look at verse number 2 here. It says, For by it the elders obtained a good report. So it could also be talking about high-ranking officials in, in the Jewish community, among Jewish leaders. In fact, in Matthew chapter 16, in verse number 21, the word says this, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. So I've given you multiple examples of how this word elders is referenced or used in the scriptures. But predominantly what we're talking about tonight is how it was used in describing the leadership in the local New Testament church and the infancy of the church uh, back in Jerusalem. So an elder was considered to be the overseer or the shepherd. And, and Paul had much to say about the qualifications of an elder. Um, and... Uh, in Acts chapter 20, verse number 28, the scripture says this, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Now, Peter, he identified himself as an elder. In 1 Peter, again, in chapter 5, verse 1, the elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Now, an interesting thing about Peter identifying himself as an elder is this. He did not say he was the first pope. 
And this is, this is a fallacy of the Roman Catholic Church because they believed that Peter was, was the first pope. And they get that from the conversation Jesus had with Peter about, he said, upon, he said, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And, and people were insinuating, and even today in the Roman Catholic Church, that Jesus was saying he's going to build his church on Peter. That's not true. Peter was not the first pope. He says here, I'm an elder. You may not know this, but predominantly in the Roman Catholic Church, people don't bring a Bible to worship. Have you ever wondered why? If you, you may not have even known that, but do you, do you know why? Because the priests, they don't want the people to know what's in the Word of God. I can remember, Danny may remember this. When my uncle died, they asked me. I was the first Baptist preacher that ever darkened the doors of a Catholic church. To be honest with you, it's the first. Now, I, I can remember the day we sang in a Catholic church. We sang for a Catholic. You remember that event we had? We sang for Catholic people. We sang for Pentecostal people, Methodist people. We, we sang for any, anybody that would let us come, we'd go. Back in those days, we'd pay people to let us come sing. It didn't, but we sang at gas stations. We, I mean, we sang in all kinds of places. But the thing is this. They made it very clear to me, do not bring a Bible. Do not read from the Scriptures. They made that very clear to me. So I said, okay. So when it was my turn to get up and speak, I used the Scripture in, in Revelation chapter 21 when John said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And when I was quoting these scriptures, that I could see almost literally jaws dropping to the floor. And the priest was sitting behind me with this big, thick, it looked like a family album, a family Bible of some sort of big thing. And, and, and I was quoting these scriptures. I didn't, I didn't need my Bible. I had... The word, when you hide it in your heart, it flows. There may be times in your life you don't have a Bible you're toting around. You have to know the word. And I quoted all of these scriptures. And so after, it, he didn't know what to do, and I didn't know what he was going to do. I just quoted these scriptures, shared a few words, and I went back and sat down. Then they had this little dinner in the fellowship hall right beside the church. And when I went in there to sit down to eat, these people flocked to me. And I was, I didn't know what to make of it really. And, and I was trying to eat and listen. And they said, we never heard anything like that in our life. How do you know this? And I'm thinking, my goodness, I could tell y'all some stuff if y'all just pull up a chair here. But, and, but they build their whole story on Peter. He makes it clear here in this passage who he is. And he also says this in verse 1, that he was a witness to the sufferings of Christ. Now you remember, as he writes this, think about what he's reflecting upon in the Garden of Gethsemane. Think about what he's reflecting upon 
going through all of the horrors of the crucifixion. But he also mentions that he's a partaker of the glory. You remember the day that he stood on the Mount Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John? You think about what he's saying here in this text and what he's reminiscing, what's coming before him as the Holy Spirit is moving him to write. And he pens these words. I mean, he had been to the empty tomb. He had seen the, the resurrected Lord. He saw Jesus appear in the upper room. He saw Jesus ascend back to the Father. And so when you, when you read this, he says, I am a witness. I have seen it with my own eyes. He said, I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Not only did I see the bad things, but he said, I saw the good as well. He said, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. And so in verse 2, Peter moves on to the spiritual aspect of the ministry where some are called elder and some are called shepherd. And I want to remind you of the stage, how it progressed in Peter's life. First, Peter was called to salvation. You remember John and Andrew, they had heard Jesus speak and Andrew was so overwhelmed with the gospel that the first thing he did was he said, my brother's got to hear this. And he went looking for Simon Peter. He said, Jesus is Nazarene, the man from Nazareth. He's going to speak. Come. And he invited his brother to this little place called Caesarea Philippi. By the way, if you go with me to, to the Holy Land, we'll go to the place where that story occurred. But Jesus begins to ask Peter, he says, whom do men say that I am? Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. But Jesus said, but who do you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. This was the call of salvation. But then Jesus was walking by the Galilee. He spoke later and he said, Drop your nets and follow me. That was the call of discipleship. So Peter had a distinct call in his life, one for salvation, one for discipleship. But now as he's coming down to the end of his ministry, it's ending with the shepherd's call. It's ending with the call of him being a shepherd. A lot of transformation here. I mean, after everything that Peter had been through, I want you to think about this because I'm going to take just a few minutes and read John 21, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 17 for you, and I want you to follow along on the screen because this is really important that you get these scriptures in at this point. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And by the way, the Sea of Galilee has four biblical names. The Sea of Tiberias is another name for the Sea of Galilee. They're the same place, not two different seas, the same place. Jesus showed himself to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias on the wise. This wise showed he himself. There were together Simon, Peter, and Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a-fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, no. 
And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, by the way, that was John, it is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the nets with fishes. As soon then as they were come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, and a hundred and fifty and three. Does that intrigue you that, I mean, he counted the fish? Think about what he did with the fish and the loaves, and then think about this. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine, and none of the disciples durst, or that word durst, it means dared. Durst asked him, Who art thou? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me more than these? Now, it's been debated on what these were. What was Jesus in reference to Peter, lovest thou me more than these? Some people say, well, he was referring to his disciples. Do you love me more than James and John? Some people said, well, he was probably talking about the, the fishing industry, all the boats, the nets. Do you love me more than these? That's not, listen, you can talk all day long about that. It, it won't make you any more saved if you finally ultimately believe something else. So, these could be anything. He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. He said unto him, Feed my lambs. So, I want you to get the story. When Jesus is having this particular conversation with, with Peter, Peter is not talking about this unconditional agape love. He is responding into this, this realm of brotherly love. Uh, he was saying, Lord, and I, I affiliate thee. I have a brotherly love for you. I love, I love James. I love John. Uh, you know I love you. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest, I affiliate you. You know this. He, Jesus, saith unto him, Feed my sheep. And then verse 17, He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Now, this is where the light came on in Peter's heart because Jesus switched the emphasis from agape unconditionally. He now started to ask Peter in the realm of how Peter was answering him. So now Peter was grieved because he saith unto him the third time, so you affiliate me? And when Jesus asked with that tone, 
Okay, I heard what you said the first two times. You affiliate me, you affiliate me. So now I'm going to ask again. So Peter, do you really affiliate me? Is that what it is? Is that what this is about? And because Jesus put that emphasis on the response that Peter gave, the word says it pricked his heart. He was grieved because he said unto him the third time, do you affiliate me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. And this is where the light came on. He said, Lord, you know, I copy you. Thou knowest I love thee. And Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. So Peter knew Jesus had told him to feed his sheep. Now, why are we even talking about this? Because this is one of the qualifications. This was one of the expectations. This was one of the assignments that the Lord gave to the shepherd, the overseer, the elder, to feed the sheep. Peter knew this. Jesus had told him personally to do it. And this is a lesson that he never forgot. And so I want to close with this aspect. I don't have time to develop this last point. We'll do it next Wednesday night, Lord willing. The, the motive for ministry ought not to ever be driven by money. Ever. I have a lot to say about that next Wednesday night. I have three minutes here. I cannot tie the knot on it. There's a big responsibility that the elder, the shepherd, the overseer has to feed the sheep. And it ought not to be for any other reason than for the Lord Jesus Christ. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.